So this is the beginning of the kind of community formal retreat. And uh, so it is communal, means we support each other uh, during this time. Not a matter of what, you know, I particularly prefer doing. It's it's uh, an agreed agreement to work, uh, to meditate, practice as a community. <clears throat> and so many of you have had self-retreats and where you you can, you know, you kind of separate yourself from the community. Now observe what, you know, what, what it is to uh, be in communion, to be, to go along with others, working as a group, being together. It's not to say one is better than the other, it's not a matter of comparing, but obser- observing, it's like this. <clears throat> Being with, with others, just the word retreat itself, you know, formal retreat, communal retreat, these, these words affect our consciousness. And so the encouragement is to observe this, and not to, to uh, analyze it or think about it or form views and opinions, but just notice how uh, words affect, affect us emotionally. So the very direct path of uh, awareness, mindfulness, isn't so much dependent upon, you know, the conditions involved in kind of ideal techniques or whatever, but in uh, learning to trust and uh, cultivate a continuous awareness, working within the convention. So. So noticing, uh, observing the conventional form that we're using is like this. Theravada, Buddhism, as it's evolved here at Chithurst, from the Thai forest tradition, the way it is, uh, not saying anything about it in terms of, uh, you know, trying to defend it or criticize or whatever, but it's like this. So that on a conventional level where, <clears throat> you know, we decide this is what we want to do, then we, we uh, conform to this way, to the conventional, to the conventions of this tradition. Or the way that we're doing it here at Chithurst. And you can think, well, Amrabhati, they do it, or at Watnanachat, they do it a little differently, or whatever, then you, you get into personal preferences or views and opinions. That's not the point, is it? It's not 
you know, encouraging that kind of, that thinking process of comparing. But uh, it's simplifying if you just accept this the way it is, as it is, then you don't have to think about it. You can reflect from it. And that's the point of a tradition and a convention is used in a religious context is it, it's more or less, uh, it is in itself anicca dukkha nata, so it's not trying to promote itself as some, some kind of uh, transcendent convention because conventions are only limited, their forms, their, their uh, expedient means. But if we spend our time just trying to work on the conventional level, trying to get the perfect, uh, the convention that suits me, that satisfies me as a person, that uh, I can truly believe in and totally accept without, you know, because it's what I feel and what I think, then one never transcends it. You're just you're just using conventional forms to support an ego to perpetuate that illusion. So even the irritating aspects of a convention, the things we don't like or don't agree with on a personal level is, uh, you know, that's fair enough. It's not a demand or an imperative that you have to like and agree and and defend uh, the conventional form in all its aspects. But on the level of trusting, and that it is, it's a moral convention that's traditional. It, uh, it's not, we're not asking you to do anything immoral or illegal or wrong. <clears throat> so what I'm pointing to is a simplification. The religious uh, goal is, is, ultimate, is ultimate simplicity. It's not complicated in any way. The conventional form can be quite complicated. And we can complicate it even more by trying to, you know, endlessly trying to uh, think about it, improve it, change it, modernize it, or whatever, you know, we, we, our reactions might be to it. That increases its complexity. But the complexity of a convention then is, is just the way of, uh, of sankharas, call it samut banyat or conventional realities that we live with in terms of society and religion. So during this retreat, uh, just agree to to uh, surrender to the form, you know, don't 
Don't make a problem about it. Do the best you can with it. And observe, you know, the, the way it affects you. Communal practice, um, the way the weather is, the, 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 the community itself, the way in different individuals affect, affect you. Not in order to, to uh, make any decisions or form any opinions, but developing, cultivating awareness. It's like this, the way it is. Now this reflection of the way it is, is 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 neither approving nor disapproving. It's just a notation. It's just noting. It's like this right now, at this very moment, it can only be this way, isn't it? It's a a truth, an obvious truth. At this moment, for each one of us sitting here in this hall, the way it is. You can't, you know, to say, I wish it were other than this is, uh, is rather uh, ridiculous because it's like, right now, it's like this. And I'm not telling you how it is or how you should feel or perceive it, but encouraging you to just ob- trust yourself to observe how it affects you, the temperature of the room, the hall itself, the, the time of the, the early morning period, the conditions around, your your own physical body, your mental state, your mood is like this. So when I reflect in this way, then I say it's the way it is or it's like this that brings attention to to, uh, say, say just the mood, the state of mind, the consciousness And the, and the quality that's present at this moment. So that's reflecting, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a non-critical ability to observe and pay attention and notice. Awakened, conscious, Awareness. Now apply that to to the physical body, just the the way it is, the sitting posture, it's like this. And observing, you know, allowing it to be the way it is. You're not trying to make it any anything any otherwise, but learning to accept and let things be the way they are, the physical state you're in, the the comfort or lack of comfort or discomfort you're feeling, allow it to be that way. Uh, you not don't get caught up in trying to think you should. It should be otherwise. Whatever way it is, as you're experiencing it now, the way it is, it's like this. Now this is a, a kind of relaxed attentiveness. It's not into controlling. Or trying to change anything, or judging. I'm, I'm, re- I'm emphasizing these words. It's, it's a relaxed attentiveness, an acceptance, an alertness.
And you can grasp these words and say, I, I should be more relaxed. I'm so tense now. I should, I should relax. Well, then you're grasping the, the concepts again. You know, so it's not saying, and I'm not trying to say it, you should relax. And if you're tense now, that there's something you're doing it wrong because you should re- be relaxed now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you how you should be. But these are more like guidelines, encouragement. So even if you're totally tense, stressed at this moment, the awareness of it is like this. It's total acceptance. Allowing even pain or stress or tension or whatever might be present in your consciousness, allowing it to be this way. Just noticing how, uh, like, words like retreat affect consciousness, like, it's something to do, this, this sense of having to do something, to get something, to develop something. So in, um, in any tradition, and especially one as old as this one, a lot of the views and opinions that form from reading scriptures or taking meditation retreats, developing meditation techniques. So I encourage you to be aware of any kind of compulsive feelings you're experiencing, like the, the shoulds and shouldn'ts and musts and mustn'ts. Uh, kind of way of should practice, should be mindful, should be very strict. Should keep silent, not talk at all. Some of you get into, you become samadhi, obsessed with samadhi, trying to to get a lot of tranquility by shutting everything off. Notice that, that desire to control, to, to, to stop any kind of, or prevent any kind of uh, irritation or interruption. <clears throat> So you're, uh, you can encourage you to observe the, the desire to, to control something. To maybe you have experiences at other times of, of uh, very strict retreats that you've been on, where there's been total silence, and you get into a lot of you get a lot of samadhi, tranquility, through controlling this, the situation. And then you get a kind of bliss, pleasure from that. And then that very pleasure, the memory of having that pleasure, creates the desire to have it again. So one of the problems about even the suggestion of retreats is that we remember previous times, and we'd like to have some more of that. Or you might have had terrible experiences on previous retreats. 
Maybe you've been on a retreat before and it was absolutely a nightmare of pain, misery and frustration. And so then you think this one is, you know, then you, you see this one is going to be another possibility for more misery and pain because you're grasping a memory. So with awareness, we're noticing this, what we wanting and not wanting, trying to get something or get rid of something. Now it's very important to really become an expert on desire, to know desire, to get to the root of it, to, to know it in all its subtleties. Not to get rid of it. We're not trying to, to wipe it out or not annihilating desire, but studying, observing, witnessing. It's like this. To want something I don't have right now. I'm going to practice now in order to get samadhi. This desire to to achieve some kind of remembered experience in the past or attain some kind of maybe goal, some imagined state of samadhi is a desire, isn't it? Bhavadana, desire to get something, become something else. It's this very compulsiveness. It's this kind of, it pushes us that's why, you know, there is so much misery in the world because of ambition and desire for becoming, achieving, attaining, getting something and getting rid of desire to get rid of wandering mind. Maybe you don't like yourself very much. Your mind wanders and you don't like it. You want to make it stop wandering and get rid of lust and anger and these nasty emotions and attain nirvana or peacefulness with some ideal, idealized state you imagine you would be very nice to have. And it's like this. Over many years I've observed these desires until I, you know, you, you just understand, you, you, you notice immediately that, that sense of, of trying to get something or control something, trying to resist or reject or deny or get rid of something. Or just sensual desire. We get bored, you know, fed up with meditation or get bored and with it all you want some kind of sensory stimulation, something to eat or excite your senses, sound or sight, taste. 
some kind of exciting experience uh, through the senses, especially when when things are mentally kind of depressing or dreary, boring. So these the zadanha is the Pali word. These are to be, you know, to be observed. You get, to, you know, not to, not a matter of getting rid of them, but learning from them. And we all have habits, don't we? We develop, you know, our life. Uh, we learn how when we get, when we feel threatened or ill at ease or depressed or insecure, then we, we start, we go and try to eat something maybe, or switch on the TV, or smoke cigarette, or do something, you know, to distract ourselves from, from the uh, dreariness or the feeling of insecurity or restlessness that we might be experiencing. When it was sensual pleasures, isn't it? They're so easily absorbed into. You know, like like uh, eating things is uh, so easy to to uh, to kind of just change your mental state temporarily by by eating something that you, that you like, something that tastes good. Sexual. Uh, Fantasy, sexual uh, desire, lust is very exciting energy. So, get a little frightened, threatened, or ill at ease, or bored, then we can liven things up through sexual fantasy. Or anger, you know, resentment, indignation. We can really, there's a lot now we can feel very indignant about in the international scene and whatnot. There's so many unfair things happening, so many uh, dreadful uh, occurrences and disasters and terrible things that people are doing and governments and whatnot. And we can, and indignation is another kind of exciting emotion. So on the emotional level, you know, the you know, we have, you know, we are emotional. This is an emotional experience. Being a human being means we we feel life. We have to feel this this realm that we're experiencing through the body and through consciousness. It's a feeling experience. You have to feel the heat or the cold or the pleasure, pain. You have to live in, in, a, in a world where we have very little control over, where things happen, stuff happens. A lot of it shouldn't happen. It's unfair and bad and selfish and mean and so forth, but it happens and it affects us and others. And so on that the level of of the sense realm, the human realm, uh, 
when this is not judging it anymore, but observing, learning from it. You know, so we're not just caught in endless reactions towards it, like getting caught up with trying to find a place where we can live uh, and, and a peaceful life separated from all the turmoil that, that goes on in other places. So there's a kind of ideas of going to some place, uh, you know, that seems safer than someplace else. In Thailand, where I was there, some of the monks that I was telling you were talking about the oil crisis and pollution and the, the polar ice cap melting and everything sounds like, you know, everything's going to collapse into a heap any day now. And probably the safest place to live at this time is New Zealand. <laughs> so they said, uh, Ajahn Sumato, why, why don't you go to New Zealand? <laughs> but that doesn't attract me, doesn't it, to, to just try to find some safe place, because it doesn't really matter in terms of the Dhamma. I mean, the, what we learn is from the here and now, not trying to, to uh, you know, save myself. <clears throat> so I can kind of hopefully maintain some kind of privileged lifestyle uh, that isn't quite so traumatic as the rest of the world might be experiencing. I'm not interested in in, uh, in trying to find some safe refuge on this planet. But then we ask ourselves, where does safety lie? You know, what is safe? What is, what is trustworthy? What can we take refuge in? And I wouldn't recommend New Zealand or any other place. So the, this is, you know, this is a reflection, isn't it, on observing. At this moment, here and now, sitting here, in this form, in this body, the way it is, it's not thinking about going somewhere else. I don't find that, you know, even you know, if it's guaranteed by God to be safe, it's still someplace else. It's still something separate in time, place. So, with awareness, we're we're learning to trust this safety in awareness, the refuge. That is only recognized through paying attention, through being present, through witnessing, observing the way it is. So I encourage this, this kind of attitude of attentiveness, uh, witnessing, observing, an open uh, openness a receptivity 
relaxed attention. And this is uh, a sense of opening, listening, receiving, rather than focusing on an object, controlling and trying to shut everything else off. You know, like samadhi practices, you focus on an object and absorb into it by shutting everything else out. <coughs> Samatha practices. The attitude of vipassana is more the receptivity, openness, uh, non-controlling. Relaxed uh, attentiveness. So you've heard me say that the point that includes everything rather than the point that excludes. So like Samatha practice is more like developing, uh, you know, concentration on on a point that excludes everything else. It doesn't allow the rest. Uh, So you, you control your your attention to the one point. Then the point that includes everything is oneness, wholeness, completeness, perfection, then, isn't it? Because you can't imagine anything outside it since it includes everything. So to to open, you can't, since it's not a, a point that you can, that has boundaries, that you give boundaries to, since it is boundless. Then it's a different attitude, isn't it, than trying to control and shut everything else out. So the words that convey this, uh, this are best, you know, the best words I can come up with in the English language are like relaxed attention, receptivity, It's a kind of love or meta practice. In that love includes, doesn't it? It's not love is not an exclusive reality. Or meta is when we practice meta, loving kindness, it includes everything. It's not preferring or or excluding anything whatsoever. So to get a sense for this, it's uh, for me it's uh, listening, this sense of openness, which include uh, both the the things that, as they affect my my senses from outside, and also what's happening inside, the emotions, the the physical uh, sensations. The mood, the state of the, the emotional mood that 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 I'm exp- experiencing now. So this is this is what I'm encouraging for this retreat: an open, relaxed, sense of attentiveness and interest in this moment 
it's like this. And, and keep it a mystery. You don't have to define it. You don't have to kind of fix it and, uh, and describe it. It's learning. It's not, not a, a thinking process. You're not trying to, to uh, create anything about it, but learning to recognize, realize it's like this. So it's an intuitive sense. It's intuition rather than, than uh, intelligence or intellectual intelligence where we, we analyze, criticize, compare using reason, logic, the thinking process. And this is, transcends thinking not thought. It's where thought arises and ceases. So then, you know, the body's included. You know, the, when we point to the way it is at this time, the, this body here is sitting. It's like this. The breath. This body's breathing. Includes the the breathing, <clears throat> the posture, the the sensations that you're experiencing through the body. It's consciousness. Consciousness is operating. This is consciousness. The body is in the consciousness. You can be aware of, of uh, say, just the mental state, the mood. Are you feeling bright, awake, lively, inspired, sleepy, dull? Neither one or the other, bored, unsure, uncertain, whatever. Is this, you know, the moods. The, the kind of emotional state is very changeable, <clears throat> very dependent on conditions. So your relationship to your emotions is not one of judging or controlling, but of observing because how, how the weather affects emotions or the time of the, the day. This the way your, your body is, whether you feel healthy or sickly, vigorous or weak. It's like this. Now in terms of the, like, samatha vipassana, if I, because I'm encouraging this, this mindfulness, then uh, people, some people think that I'm against samatha meditation. Uh, I have a reputation at Nanachala being against samatha. <clears throat> and I don't think I've ever been against samatha. But I, I definitely have uh, found my my style much more through the, the satisampachanya, mindfulness, practices. So that's what I teach. I'm pointing to the difference and uh, where we're controlling so much, much of our conditioning 
cultural conditioning and education is about control. Uh, Westerners were, were kind of inveterate control freaks, just because our culture is that way. Very much so. We, we want to control things. <clears throat> and so we tend to to gravitate to techniques of where we control a lot. And it's not that that's wrong, or, but what I'm encouraging is an awareness of this. It's a kind of desire. You know, it's, it's based on ignorance and desire to control, wanting to get something through controlling everything, get rid of, of things we don't like by denying or resisting them, trying to get desired states that we remember having in the past or we imagine or, you know, we would like to have. We'd like to have Nibbana or, or the ultimate kind of Nervi Kalpi Samadhi, some kind of, give it a posh title, you know, some the highest state that the greatest yogis have ever attained. Oh, I want that. And so we go into, you know, when I think of that from a personal conditioned experience, I go into controlling. I see all of you as an enemy to me attaining this high state of samadhi. <clears throat> I have to go off and become a hermit, go and live in a cave somewhere, just to, you know, so then I can control things better if I don't have a lot of people around. <clears throat> people are loose cannons, aren't they? The more monks and nuns you have, the more difficult it is to control. When you're alone, no problem. <laughs> then you have to control yourself. <laughs> but then, uh, and then you've got another monk, and that can create all kinds of problems because then there's personal issues that it, if you're not all that agreeable or compatible, <clears throat> and then you get another monk, and then a nun. And then two nuns, and then, <laughs> and all kinds of unknown factors arise. You know, so it's it's increasing the the you know the uh, the factors of, of where our ability to control diminish. So observing this 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 desire, it's a, it's dunha, isn't it? to control things. It's fear, isn't it? Fear of losing control. Fearing everything's going to go wrong. Fearing the terrorists. You know, we live in a society that is permeated with fear at this time. All these uh, terrorists, Al-Qaeda terrorists, people that want to destroy our safety, take away our privileges, 
So I'm not, not trying to say you shouldn't have this desire to control, but pointing to it, to observing this. this it's a, it's bhava dhanha, vipava dhanha. It's, it's the cause, the grasping of this desire is the cause of suffering in, the, in terms of the Four Noble Truths. So it's, uh, you know, the, 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 I've watched this in myself, because, you know, and you learn, you, this is what panya, how panya arises in, in our consciousness, because we're learning from the way it is. We're not just reading wise phrases from Confucius, quoting them, and that, but it's, it's learning, you know, observing, witnessing, from the way you experience life, from your own experience of it. So this desire to control and resist and and that is is something to learn from, to acknowledge. It's like this. It's something in me wanting, not wanting something, dreading something that some I might lose control or somebody might cause me some difficulties. Wanting to control the community, make sure everybody, you know, is doing what they should and behaving themselves. And you get someone who doesn't quite fit into the form very well. They're a bit, they call them loose cannons. You know, you can't, you don't know quite know what they're up to. And and then they're like you know they're people that cause this kind of anxiety. Or you hear about you know when somebody when thieves come in and and rob the workshop or do something. There's something very unsettling about out there. There are people that can come in and 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 take our things, disrupt our community, cause us trouble. So on that level, you, you know, there's there's a lot to fear in the in this realm that we're living in. It's it is a frightening realm. Fear is a kind of primal emotion that that the animals have. You know, it's kind of basic to having a physical body, being in a living in a sense realm. There's a lot to be frightened of. But then say in what I'm encouraging you to do is to learn from this fear not to not just try to to uh, d- you know try to run away from it or take it as some kind of personal weakness or failure but it's to learn you learn from the fear from the anxiety from the uh, desire to to control things to control is the fear of losing control. So you're getting down to very basic, primal uh, realities of of uh, human conscious experience. 
And that's what we learn from, is this, uh, by, through awareness, through, through attentive attention, paying attention, observing, and learning from this. We learn from fear, from the, the fear that we, that we're experiencing, not, not trying to learn how to get rid of it, but recognizing it. Sometimes we don't even know we're frightened. We're so frightened that we don't even know it. We aren't even aware of how strong that is affecting our experience of life till we open to it, recognize it. Dread and worry, isn't it? These are the, the, the sickness of modern society when we have when we've, we've demanded and expect so much security from our government, from our, you know, our way of life. And no matter how stable the government or secure things can get on the external level, there's still, you know, there's still all these Al-Qaeda terrorists behind every bush. So on that level, you know, the imagination can. You know, I can imagine. You know, right now I can imagine Al Qaeda terrorists out there. <laughs> they look like somebody called Osama bin Laden. Some, you know, these are the the stereotypes. But, you know, at a common sense level, I doubt that there are any, but, but the imagination, you know, how we can create through fear, through propaganda, through listening to propaganda, or picking up on the anxieties that we, we can't help but, but feel at this time, you know, through the, through the way it is as a nation, as an international community. So the the refuge then not going to New Zealand, but to to awaken to this, to observe, to learn from it. This this sense of anxiety, of worrying about the future, is like this. Dreading the possibilities of the aging process or things falling apart. The, the securities, the things that we, we've become accustomed to and expect in life of them changing or losing or changing in ways that might be very painful or difficult for us. All these possibilities we can create in the future. So now is, is where we place our attention, this anxiety Dread is like this, this feeling of fear, the unknown, the, the uncontrollable, 
the mysterious, the uncertain, is like this. And just notice when you when you begin to to appreciate this kind of practice that that then these these the, one is actually letting go of these habits. It's through your willingness to receive life that you can let it go. It's not through idealizing letting go and then trying to practice something you think is letting go. And that just tends to be vipavadanha again. You're trying to control things or get rid of things or refuse to acknowledge or receive things that you don't like or you don't want. No, I'm just practicing like dreading the future. What's going to happen to me? And by receiving this, this fear, this, this dread, it's like this. I'm not trying to, you know, analyze why I should feel this, but it is like this. Dreading the future, worrying about the future is like this. And not demanding that it go away. You're not doing this as some kind of act. If I receive it, then it'll go away because then you're playing, you're deluding yourself again. It's like allowing things to be for, you know, forever if they, if they are, if that's the way it is. It's putting no conditions on the situation. It's this sense of relief, of allowing, of being, without any kind of, uh, you know, agreements or conditions placed on the on the experience. And then see what happens. You know, trust yourself. You know, your ability to to receive life and to learn from it. And this is this is uh, the uh, great asset of our human state. The only reason I can think of is purpose of of being human. I mean, it is the ultimate to me. It's it. This is the the ultimate in in what we can learn as human individuals. So this this retreat then is is a you know a special opportunity. It's a, you know it's something that is available here and now during this week. This is the called the retreat, and the. Uh, Conforming to the to the schedule, and that and observing, not trying to become a good retreatant or a good meditator according to some idea you have. 
But if that's how the, the suggestion retreat affects you, certainly you can observe from that, wanting to, you know, to, to really use this time well, to really, you know, get your practice together and get your insights. Uh, you know, how we can take something like this and then really hang on to it uh, without seeing what we're doing. Now, this is a monastic retreat, so you do appreciate the lay support team. And lay supporters recognize your position here is to support That's that's why you're here. <clears throat> Not here to uh, to practice like a monk or a nun. So then the reflection is how to support the sangha. You know, this is a, what the winter's retreat is about. How to this is a kind of act of generosity rather than thinking. I want to use this time to get my practice together and, and any kind of support I give, I, I hope it, you know, you don't ask too much of me because I'm really determined to use this to get my samadhi and so forth. Observe any kind of selfish uh, attitudes that might arise. And then the monastics, you know, our position here then is, is, is too, is, this is a special opportunity where the, the lay people come and offer their support for our practice. So it does give us a sense of, of gratitude and appreciation and for that kind of generosity and offering that the lay community is making. So don't take it for granted or, or, uh, you know, or if you do, you know, if we do start just taking the lay community for granted, observe that. How easy it is to, to just think of oneself, me and my practice and what I can get out of this. Uh, not to even condemn it, but observe what, what that kind of attitude is. Is it something you want to cultivate? Selfishness, uh, me and my practice, uh, is that an attitude that leads towards peacefulness, joy, liberation? So in a, in a situation on the conventional level, just being aware of of the of the role that we're playing at this time. The role is not to be clung to, but it certainly can be recognized. It's like this. And so the lay support lay supporters, you know, whether whether you you know you whatever you're feeling, you know, in regards to to being in that role of a lay supporter. I encourage you to observe it. 
you know, how the kind of magnanimity, the 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 grandness of it, or or the uh, you know just wanting to to uh, be here for to get, so you can practice for yourself or whatever or whatever combinations of magnanimity or selfishness. Be the observer of it. Not the critic, not the critic. But then in terms of, of action and speech, then we, we, we perform our roles accordingly. Fair enough, you know, we're not. That's the, the agreement on the conventional level. So that, that, that simplifies everything. We, we've got it clarified what, what we're here for uh, on that conventional level. And from there, then that if we if we agree to that, and that's the way, that's how we we're going to use this convention, then we don't have to negotiate. We don't have to spend this retreat time negotiating special privileges and rights and demands and endless things on that level on a per, for personal views or opinions or advantages. And so, what we're interested in then is simplification, clarity on the conventional level so that then the awareness is aimed at, uh, you know, we can take into account how, how it affects us, how our position, our role, our presence in this community on this retreat, how it, you know, what comes, what what happens to us. And we're Taking refuge in this observing, in the puto, puto, the Buddha knowing the Dhamma. So this this relationship of Buddha Dhamma is very, you know, this is the refuge we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. The worldly refuge, the worldly, the worldly customs are taking me and my views and opinions. So when I come from me, Ajahn Sumato, and my views and opinions, then that's then that then I become critical, and uh, that triggers off my personality, my habits, my emotions, my preferences, my views and opinions. If I take refuge in Buddha, in Puto Tamo, then, then the, the self, the sense of me, mine, is Dhamma. It's seen in terms of the way it is. So I'm not operating from personal preferences or habits. That's not my refuge, you know, what I think, what I want, and my rights and my views and all that kind of thing. I've seen through that. That's not, that's not a refuge that I respect or want to perpetuate is myself as a person. So the, the, um, the Bhutto then, this is the, the mantra of the Thai forest tradition, the one who knows, the knowing. 
the pure consciousness, pure conscious knowing, intuitive knowing, awareness, knows the Dhamma, so that the self then is seen in terms of Dhamma. And how is the self Dhamma? Because self arises and ceases, doesn't it? You're seeing it in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of personal ideas, ideals, uh, loves and hates, likes and dislikes, and so forth. When you when you operate from the personal level, then you're back into the critical world again of should and shouldn't, good and bad, right and wrong. When you take refuge in Puto, in Buddha, then you're operating from the transcendent, knowing Dhamma, the way it is, the truth of the way it is. All conditions are impermanent, the Pesa and Karanicha, self Self is, when you really see what self is, it is impermanent. Your personality changes according to, you know, it's changing all the time. How you're feeling, your personality changes according to the conditions. The knowing of this changing is not personal. I can't claim personally knowing is some kind of personal attainment. So it's making this very clear, you know, that that uh, practicing knowing Dhamma doesn't mean some kind of, you know, poly words that we we learn and, and we know all about Abhidhamma and and we can talk about the Dhamma in 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 highly intelligent ways, because that can still be self-view. We can we can learn all about Dhamma from reading the books, but knowing Dhamma is a different. Isn't it? It's not knowing all about Dhamma. It's knowing the way it is. It's direct. They call jnana dasana, direct knowledge. Or, and then they combine these two f- sentences, Sape Sankarani Cha, all conditions are impermanent. Sape Tama Anatta, all Dhamma is Anatta, not self. Now those aren't doctrines to grasp, but they're, they're statements for reflection, helping to, to uh, encourage our investigation to see and know for for ourselves, it's not a matter of believing these words and these Buddhist ideas, but they're, they're there to prove, to find out, to know in a direct knowing rather than knowing all about them. <laughs>